Good evening, everyone. Good evening and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. Owner stories today. It's Tuesday. It's owner stories today, and we have a good one. We have um, we have Jack today, and Jack is coming in from uh, London. Jack's in the UK, uh, so he's in the same time zone as me. I always like doing uh, these stories when I'm in the same time zone. I can do it at a usual time, which is always easier. So Jack has got a. You know, I probably titled this podcast. I'm not sure what I'm going to title it yet, but I probably pop, I probably have titled it what Jack is calling his car, and it's called the Sunburnt Lobster. That's what he's calling it. Um, Jack has recently acquired this car. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that car. We're going to talk to him about whether he's owned previous Porsches before. You know what Owner Stories is all about. It's a great conversation with Porsche owners around the world. Uh, my name is Michael Bath. This is a Porsche Cooled podcast, and this is Owner Stories number... What number is it? 19, number 19. Um, so I'm going to get Jack. I think he's just come on to Zoom. He's waiting for me. I'm going to get Jack on the on the line, so to speak, and we're going to start talking about his his 911 purchase. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Porsche School Podcast. Like I said, this is Owner Stories number 19, number 19. And tonight we have Jack here from the UK, from London. Hi, Jack. Hello, Michael. How are you? All good, thanks. Not too bad. Windy day, isn't it? There's a storm outside, but uh, hopefully it won't affect the audio too much. No, it sounds it sounds pretty good on my end. Yeah, I can hear the wind uh, wash, uh, brushing against the window here. We're on the 17th floor, so it's uh, when the wind picks up, it gets a bit crazy. Um, so I kind of did a bit of an intro before I got you on, and it's an interesting story. And I think, I don't know, how do you want to we'll, – we'll talk about your car in a minute. Uh, I've called it in the intro as the Sunburnt Lobster because I really like <laughs> yes. it. I really like how you've called it that. I think that's a great name. Um, so we'll yeah, get to that. Yeah, yeah it we'll makes get sense. To, when you... <laughs> we'll get to that and explain to the listeners why you called it the Sunburnt Lobster, and it's a really good reason. But before we get into that, we always like to start the owner's stories, and we always like to start it with the background to let the listeners know, you know, a common bond between all of us. Like, when did you start thinking about Porsche? Were you... You know, was Porsche something that you liked when you were a kid? Was it something you got into later in life? Um, how did you start? When did you start noticing Porsches or 911s and, and started thinking, hey, that's something I, I wouldn't mind getting into? Yeah, um, I come from sort of a car crazy family, I guess. My dad was really into his cars. I remember sort of earliest memories, he had an Alfa Romeo uh, Spider boat tail. Um, and then we had a Lancia Beta Spider. So sort of being a little kid in crammed in the back of one of those. Yeah. So he always had some interesting cars like Capri's, then went on to the hot hatches. So uh, I used to do a bit of the classic car scene and obviously it's smaller than I can remember, but I see photos of it. Um, so definitely into cars. Uh, always had the Matchbox Tonka Toy collection. Uh, just yep. cars, pretty much first thing I ever talked about and I was just obsessed from day one. Um, my aunt from Australia sent me a birthday card a couple of years ago that she took of me and my granddad when I was probably about three and I'm walking in the back garden and one hand I'm sort of holding his hand and the other hand I've got a, a whale tail mustard yellow a Porsche 911. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I can't claim to being a Porsche obsessed then I think it was just <laughs> colour and everything but yeah. you know back when I was growing up in the sort of late 70s early 80s cars were very much sort of pop culture with the TV I guess we had a lot of American influences so there was, you know, you had the A-Team, Knight Rider, Magnum, and the cars were part of the star and that, weren't they? It's, it's, it's something when you look back at the late 70s and 80s, the cars were as much um, of a star as the, as the actors or actresses. So um, a lot of iconography uh, yeah, they... back then about, you know, the Ferraris and 
They were, weren't they? Because they were iconic cars. I mean, now they're iconic cars, but at the time they were so unusual. I remember watching those shows myself and thinking, you've never seen anything like that. You know, those cars, you'd never seen anything like it, like in the Dukes of Hazard or... Yeah, it, definitely. You know, and you think, wow, what are those cars? You know, and it made you more interested. Um, definitely. You, know, you didn't see them on the road over here, did you, so much? No, no. You live like near an American air base or something, they would be around. But otherwise, yeah, you just, you rarely saw them. Um, so yeah, definitely been a car person from really early on. Um, I sort of liked American cars. That was kind of a phase I went through. I tend to go through phases. So American car, I, I imported one probably about oh about 10 years ago now. I imported an American car and sort of gave that a go for a little while. So I tend to jump in and out of phases, but um, okay, I think so I found... What did you import? What was the car you imported? Uh, 1969 Chevy Nova V8. So okay. that was the before the Porsche. That was the first and last car imported. Um, so as I say, it was about ten years ago. So uh, there wasn't quite so much um, you could do over the internet. You could do an email, and it was sort of you know take the take. The, there wasn't any sort of instant instant sort of communications back then. So you send an email, you'd wait for the time difference, you'd get reply, then you'll send another one. So it was kind of a bit laborious. Okay. Um, so that that's an in- we'll talk about that when we get into about the process you went through with the car you've you've purchased. So you have had experience with bringing cars in from the US into into the UK then. You have had that experience 10 years ago with your Yeah, yeah, once uh, yeah, about 10 years ago. Um, okay. I've imported the old motorbike from Europe and I've bought the things unseen before. I was really into bikes for, for many years and right. that was a bit of a hobby of mine was buying and selling and I kind of got comfortable with buying things uh, unseen and just sort of speaking to owners and, and pictures. So I kind of worked out a way of hopefully not getting scammed was the main thing really. It's the first yeah, time you ever yeah. do this. It's it's just that you, you worry about all those watchdog stories where, you know, somebody sends two grand and surprisingly doesn't get their sort of two-year-old Harley Davidson they've been promised, you know. Yeah, which, which happens, doesn't it? It does yeah, actually yeah, happen. it still happens, um, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be very careful. So you bought this American car. You had that for a while. When was the first – you've owned – I know that you've owned other Porsches before, so I want to get into that. So what was the first Porsche that you bought and where did you buy it from? Um, so it was a year after the American car. I, I sold that. Um, I spent some money on a bike, and I had just some money left over. And um, I, I had a really cool T4 transporter van at the time. That was kind of my daily. And um, I decided to put a 1.9 TDI conversion as the guy in the West Country did a conversion on them at the time. Oh, okay, it had the old cool. diesel pump. So that was really cool. And he, used, he said it would take a week, drive in, drive out, be a week. So for that week, I hired a car. And then at the end of the week, the van didn't turn up. And, you know, I got the story that the ECU wasn't talking to this. And, you know, in right. fact, it would be like three to four weeks. So I had, um, I had a sort of decision, really. I could either keep hiring a car at, you know, a couple hundred quid a a week or whatever well my, my better idea was to buy a car um and then run it for the time and you know maybe sell it and you know not lose any money so okay. as with all these things you start off with a really small budget <clears> and it keeps growing and growing and i kept a small radius around the house and yeah this porsche 968 uh, was on ebay uh, it wasn't miles away it read quite well um and i think i either went to see it and then bid on it but it was basically four grand it was just you know back then it had a category uh, marker against it, been hit in the back but repaired. Okay, but, um, it's a really cool car. It's nine six eight Sport uh, Iris Blue. Iris Blue um, had the sort of standard Sport interior. So uh, the Sport is basically, nice. yeah, Sport's basically very similar to a Club Sport. I think the story goes AFN um, Porsche AFN bought loads of unsold Club Sports, 
And to make them a bit more sellable, they stripped out the old pole positions, put in some sort of 944 cloth seats and tried to make them slightly less basic to shift them. Oh, really? Them. Really? Yeah, it was kind of a hybrid car. I believe it was only sold in this market. Okay. It was quite cool. It had like MO30 suspension and it had a few club sporty bits on it. So it's basically but, a club sport, basically. I believe so, yeah. I believe the VIN number's a club sport. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think back then, you know, track wow. days and stripped down road cars weren't really. That would have been um, a fa- that's a fantastic car for the money. I mean, yeah, I know it's, what eight years yeah. ago is it? About eight years ago, probably. Yeah, it was just before the um, uh, classic car boom, really. So they were just it was just an old car. Um, I ran it for about a year or so, and it it, it was better when I re- uh, drove it as a daily. It was really good as a, a daily. It did have niggles, you know, like the wiper arm linkage fell off and the boot kept opening itself, and it, it was just like an old car <laughs> niggles. Yeah. Um, and eventually, it just got got the better of me but um it kind of opened me up because the kids were small at the time i could shove them in the back and you know pop out for the morning on a, on a saturday or sunday and um it was just as like the the um cars and coffee mornings were starting to sort of appear at local yeah. pubs and venues and um that suited me loads better than the traditional car show so when i had the american car a couple of years previous it was pretty much you turned up in a field you're parked in a line you throw out your deck chair and you sat there answering the same inane questions about how many miles to the gallon it does and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. all the usual rubbish and that that really didn't suit me but the um cars and sort of coffee mornings were great you get there you walk around you can talk to people if you want if you don't you just park your car leave it and grab a coffee and um yeah, it kills a couple of hours. You get to see some cool cars. And and a nine six eight, a trans, the transaxle port, the, you know, the nine six eights, the nine two eights, the nine four fours. There wasn't that many around eight years ago, was there? There wasn't a lot. It didn't. Well, no. they were around, but they weren't really sought after, were they? They weren't no, really sought no. after. They were a bit under the radar still. People were still a bit unsure about the reliability. They were unsure about the electrics of them, etc. Yeah, and I think Porsche's future was a little bit dodgy then, wasn't it? They were kind of they they weren't a big volume didn't seem to quite have the brand following they've got now they were kind of they were dealing with a lot of old dated designs when you look at the 928s 968 964s they've basically got like a 70s design that they're throwing plastic bumpers on and you know it it looks cool now but at the time it just looked like an old car that they've kind of thrown yeah it does i mean obviously the the 928 was still the one that was the pick wasn't it i always remember the 928 always looked better than the but, others yeah, but i think now I, yeah but i think now i think the 968 has a really nice shape the rear of the 968 is is pretty nice i think yeah those lights are really cool on it yeah. it's amazing what they did for the money because they probably had such a limited budget and they were told look you've got like five pound fifty to turn a 944 into something true modern true, true. <laughs> they probably yeah, yeah. you know they so they did a great job um, so you're driving the 968 you're going to cars and coffee you're, you're enjoying the the porsche experience after the american american car um Reliability, it was okay. There's no major issues with the 968. It was it was reasonably yeah, okay for the just money. Niggles, old car niggles. You know, it, it got quite a few miles, probably 120 or thousand miles. Um, so it it done the usual thing of falling into that sort of bargain basement where uh, people, perhaps previous owners, perhaps didn't sort of keep quite fully on track of repairing everything. If it kind of did, you know, they'd leave it. They wouldn't sort of just replace everything. So it was just kind of like a, I think it was about 15 years old then. So it just fallen into that trap of being a, a cheap secondhand car that, you know, probably been rags around quite a bit and yeah, having loved yeah. quite as much as it should have been. Or, so you didn't you spend know. a lot of money on it. You just enjoyed no, it, just no, did the mechanics, yeah. any type of mechanical work that had to be done. And yes, that was yeah, I tend to do my own stuff. Yeah. Okay, so then you've got the 968. One morning you wake up and you think, okay, that's enough of the 968. I'm going to get something else. 
Is that how it happened? So what what did you look at then? What was next? I went uh, completely the other way and bought a, a new car on PCP. So I bought a Fiesta ST. It just come out and I bought. Okay. So I, I sold the nine six eight. Used the deposit. Oh, sorry, used the uh, what well, I, I sold it for essentially as a deposit on a on a Fiesta. I did some man maths and worked out that you know the saving miles per gallon and all the other little bits and pieces. The brand new Fiesta ST was was probably um, you know cheaper to run as a daily. I was driving it into sort of about 50 mile round trip each day. Um, I think the niggles had just got to me. I just got a bit fed up with all the little niggly things and decided I wanted a modern daily. Um, and it's a fantastic little car, right? The Fiesta oh, ST is a fantastic car. car. Yeah, fantastic yeah. car. Um, but ironically, about six months after getting it, I got a job really local, so I ended up cycling into work. So oh, okay. the Fiesta got stuck in a garage and, you know, I did barely any miles on it, really. So when was it? So after the Fiesta... Do do other cars come in the meantime, or is is the next Porsche on? Is the next Porsche coming up? What happens next? No, as I say, there's there's lots of motorbikes and vans and cars, all sorts of things. You know, I tend to everything sort of lasts about a year. Um, I did look at getting a nine R seven or a, or a Cayman, but ended up looking at the internet forums too much and talked myself out of it. Right. And and on a whim, I ended up with a Mark II uh, Focus RS in um, Ultimate Green. I had no intention of buying one. I just saw it there in the in the car park forecourt as I went to look at something else and just fell in love with it it kind of ticked the boxes I, I tend to have a you know essential and desirable boxes and it was a bright color it had Recaro bucket seats um had a unique engine having the five cylinder and um yeah it just sort of ticked a lot of boxes at the time um I, as I said I kind of taught myself out buying a Cayman S or a 997 you know I'd scared myself with all the all the doom stories and um so was it due to the budget or was it due to the ims issues and the mechanical the, you know the those sort of things yeah budget um ideally i'd set myself a budget of about 20 um and the problem is when you look at 997.1s you can quite easily sort of talk yourself out because they go through different bearing sizes and by the time you do your mammoths and sort of work out if you put a slush fund for a hardtech rebuild or something in that realistically, in the in the long run, you're better off just getting a nine on seven point two because at the time they were about thirty thirty five for a manual. So I ended up sitting in one in a forecourt. It was about thirty five grand. Looked, I thought this is a really cool car. But at the time, I think I, it was probably probably more than I was was earning a year. I sat in it. I thought I can't really justify having a car that actually, you know, is more money than I earn in a year. I could afford to buy it outright. I was in a fortunate position at the time, but still, it just the maths didn't work in my head because, you know, IMS and balls are all one thing, but running a Porsche is never cheap. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that. I was talking to Steve about this today because we recorded uh, the podcast for Friday today. And there was an article in Classic Driver or Classic Cars, one of the UK classic sites. And they were talking about cars that are, you know, going to be collector cars. And they were saying this guy who wrote the article said that the, the best daily driver, the best daily Porsche is the 997 Carrera base yeah yeah the, the base one was have the you one seen I that article at. there was an article no just not recently. yet but yeah. I, I will we'll have a look and he purchased one with high kilometers and you know and he says that he believes it's the best daily driver and i guess you know this is the problem with the 997 and i think that's a consideration you know when you said you were going to buy one the ims is still something that people have in their mind some people say don't worry about it it has happened to you know a small mm. percentage it's a tricky one. It really is. Yeah. Ironically, I bought a 996.2 a few years later. I was going to so. get to that. So, <laughs> so, let's jump to the Porsche because here you are saying you're worried about the 997 and you're worried about the Cayman with the IMS issue and you go in and you buy a 996. So, tell the listeners about the 996 you purchased. 
yeah, that's um, I'm trying to think why. I had quite a low budget at the time, um, so I'd sold various bits and pieces and did sensible things, put it in the mortgage, and I think I, I left sort of ten grand over and thought, right, I'll buy myself a a, a play car, really, just a, a car, nice car to have. So I was sort of hunting around for that ten grand. I'd, I'd always sort of looked at nine nine sixes. My dad's had one since two thousand and one. He's had a Carrera four from new, and he's still got it. And uh, one of my oh, brothers he does. had a. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got uh, one of the Gem 1s. Um, one That's of the so weird Carrera 4s. because I had someone contact me on Instagram with who said that they've had a 996 from New as well. They've had it for 18 years or 19 years. and they, Yeah, they, yeah, he's, he's been absolutely fine on his one. Yeah, and this person know, said the same thing, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he bought a 996.1 from New. He's never had any major issues with, you know, I, I, when I talk to him, I, you know, I mention all the IMS and he just looks at me blankly, you know, <laughs> for a non, the thing is a lot, a lot of 996s were sold to non-Porsche people, you know, they're, they're yeah. a cool car. So they're not the sort of people who sort of hang around forums and get themselves worried by things. And, you know, they just bought a Porsche because they liked it and they drive it and, you know, they don't, they're probably the best sort of people because they're not getting wrapped up in all the, you know, what ifs, they just get a car, they sort of like it. Yeah, you're not, you're not getting all that information, are you? You're not sort of getting yeah. too deep into the information and getting yourself scared. So yeah. you bought the nine. Is this the reason why you bought the 996? Because you had driven um, your father's car? Uh, no, it was more of a budget thing. Um, ironically, 968s um, had become quite valuable at that time. So they were 15, 20. And when I bought them, it was reversed. When I bought the 968, it was reversed. A 911 was twice as much, you know, back then. Okay. I'd have, you know, had I got a straight choice between 968 and a 996, I would have quite happily, I wouldn't have even looked at 968, to be honest. It's, for me, Porsche's 911. So, um, but this time around, it was kind of like a no-brainer. It was just, you know, if you, why, why pay so much more for a 968 over a 911? There's probably loads of people out there shouting at me at the moment, <laughs> so saying such blasphemous things. But for me, 911s are just, yeah, really cool. Um so I, I think, yeah, I test drove a Boxster. Um, yes. That was a bit cheaper. That was around sort of seven, six, seven grand mark. It didn't really do a lot for me, to to be honest. I know they're great cars, but I think I'd set my heart on an i11. I thought if, if I'm going to get caught with bills and things, I might as well have a car I want rather than, you know, gritted teeth, shelling out money on a car that I don't particularly want. Um, I, I thought I'd missed the air cooled, <laughs> air cooled, uh, yeah, years and years ago. That's my, you know, my passion. I love the old air cooled stuff. Yeah. But the more I looked at nine eleven, nine nine sixes, I kind of, um, I, I kind of liked them more. I, I certainly wasn't looking for a Gen two. I was looking for a really early Gen one. Um, there's quite a long running thread on piston heads uh, regarding early three point four. 911. Yeah. I don't know whether you've listened to the owner's stories with James from Melbourne in Australia, Porsche Platts. Um, James has the cup car. Um, yes, yes, I have. Yeah, and yeah he, good car. He's, yeah, he had the cup car and he's just done the Fitzgerald racing car in Australia. He's actually just had it on the track. He put it on his Instagram. He just had it all, the yellow one is completely finished now. But he said the same about the 996. He said the 98, the 98 original model, he thought was the best one. And I think the one he had had... LSD and it had the mm. better suspension. Yes, no, I listened to that yeah. story. And he said because it's so light, he said it was a you know it was a great car. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly on paper, it's better than the nine nine three that it replaced. I mean, if if you were buying them at the time, kind of a no brainer to buy the, the newer model. So then you started searching out nine nine sixes. You're 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 scouring the 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 ads to try and find a nine nine six. 
Yeah. So um, as I said uh, before, I tend to have my essentials and my desirable list. So um, I was kind of doing my search with, with quite tight parameters. I didn't want a tip car. I certainly didn't want a, a drop top. Um, I think yeah. Targa's probably came a bit later, but I wasn't really interested in Targa. So I'd really narrowed it down to a coupe, manual. And um, again, because I was into the forums and Evo and stuff, you know, the C2, you know, everyone says the C2. You know, the, the C2 is kind of the one to go for. Um, you know, in this country, it's probably very debatable whether a C2 is more usable. But anyway, you tend to sort of sort of fixate on certain things. I just wasn't really finding what I wanted. I, I kind of really narrowed my scope down. And because I was working at the bottom end of the budget, it was just not not really finding what I wanted. Um, how many think, years ago, sorry, Jack, how many years ago did you buy the 996? Not that long ago. I think it was uh, June 2019. Oh, so very recently, very recently. Yeah, yeah. So prices hadn't really taken off as much as they had now, but they were certainly climbing. So it was very much a case of I kind of knew the boat was sailing. You know, there was a lot of lot of noise around them that they were starting to get momentum behind them. They'd come out of the doldrums. Yep. So tell the listeners, what did you actually buy? Which 996 Carrera did you end up getting? Um, so it was a, a Gen 2. So it was a 2003 in Basalt Black. Uh, it was a, a C2 a manual, a hard top without a sunroof, which is pretty desirable oh, in this perfect. country is to get. Yeah. yeah. Um, it had the eight-way heated electric seats, had Bose uh, rear sensors, really good, really well-specced car. Um, and it'd been lowered. It was on MO30s, but it got something like E-Bash or H&Rs. It'd been lowered slightly. So, um, nice. yeah, it was a lovely-looking car, and um, it had sensible mileage. I think it was about 88,000 miles. It had decent history. Um so you a, bought that, you didn't buy that one sight unseen then? You went and had a look at that? It was in your local area, you checked it out, et cetera, or you got someone to check it out for you? Uh, yeah, it was in my local area. So I, I, to be honest, I'd set my, as I said, I set my sight on an early one. So this one had come up. It looked really good in pictures, but um, I think it was an eBay ad. Um, but the, the seller was some like Trade City cars or something, and it was priced too low. And I, I kind of, it looked too good in the pictures and with the spec, it, for the money, it was just well below market price. I think it was just below twelve grand, and it was below market price. And I kind of which thought, is a flag there and then, isn't it? Yeah, you exactly. Think, you know, so the fact it's being what's, sold by what's trade, wrong with it? yeah, it's too cheap. But it was quite local, so I thought I need I need to sort of you know break the duck, go and visit the first one. You never buy the first one you see. At least I've gone to see it and see what I think. So I I, I popped up there, had a look at it, and it. Funnily enough, it turned out to be a really good story. You know, despite him having a, you know, Trade City Cars, you know, Celery Bay name, he was sort of a, a private guy who, who just dealt 996 turbos. They were his passion. You know, okay. he just absolutely loved 996 turbos. Part-time job for him. You know, he ran a big logistics company. Beautiful house, beautiful gates. You know, okay. a Lambo in the garage. You know, really, really nice guy. Proper nice guy. He just had loads of 996s. And it wow. turned out the a guy had come to buy a 996. Um, he'd owned this uh, uh, Carrera 2 for about nine years and said, uh, you know, will you take it part X? And this guy said, I don't, I don't usually tell him part X, but it had a good story. He'd owned it a while. It was a really clean car. He wasn't asking silly money for it. So he said, it's not my usual thing, but I'll just sell it for what it owes me just to sort of get it out. Um, Okay, so going back to your IMS concerns with 997s and you didn't buy that one, the Cayman or the 997, did it have any IMS um, solution done? Had it had the Ellen Engineering solution done? or No, no, it hadn't actually. Um, so it had an invoice for a clutch and an RMS uh, seal. Um, so when I spoke to the owner, um, he was pretty much of the same sort of thought as I, that 
it, get it inspected. If it isn't isn't loose, isn't showing any signs of wear, um, leave it. Don't fiddle with it. It's been in there for eighty or thousand miles. If it hasn't gone by now, it's probably not going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I decided my preventive maintenance would be um, to get oil analysis done every year. So okay. there's a company called Miller Oil. You yes. can send an oil sample away, and they'll they'll scan it for all the um, bits. And so basically, if an IMS is going, my theory was that it was sharp in the oil analysis, and it was a lot less intrusive than trying to yank out a bearing that probably you know seated itself nicely. I think I, I agree with you. And someone else mentioned the same thing that they get that done. I forget who mentioned it to me in another story. Excuse me. And I think that's maybe that's the best way to do it. You know, you get, yeah. you know, I know people check their oil filters and whatever, but you know, you get the oil analysis done. It's more, it's more. Uh, oh yeah, it goes down to think, micron level. It, yeah, take, it goes yeah, down to exactly. all, all the elements. So if there's can... any issue, but it's interesting yeah. with your car though because it had the um, it had the clutch change. You said right, the, cl- the mm. clutch had been changed. So you would guess whoever changed the clutch on that car, they would have had the option then to do yeah the IMS thing and they also chose not to do it which I find yeah, and they which chose I find to do is, the RMS but so, they chose to do the RMS but they didn't do the yeah. IMS which is very interesting that they would choose just to leave but, it yeah they were the same same school of thought as me that if it's been in there a while it only really affected quite a small minority um, and some of the IMS solutions aren't wonderful and to be honest the IMS is only one thing that can go wrong on that M96 yeah, lump yeah true true you true. know you read the forums and they you know crankshafts yeah. score boring you know there's there's a whole raft of things that can go wrong so my thought was you know if it's been in there that long you know but the more you read the, the more things you, the more you read yeah. the more things you find that's a problem yeah so did you have any major issues with the car when you owned it because I want to get onto your your current car but did you have any major issues with the 996 during your ownership um, period? No, it was a really good car. It was, um, yeah, good car. As I said, did the oil analysis. It came back absolutely crystal. You know, there wasn't a single element, wear mark or anything in oil. It was really good. I mean, it was a bit nerve-wracking doing that because, you know, if you see that it's got a bit of engine liner in there or, you know, cylinder liner in there, you you kind of know you're in trouble. But no, it was really good to see it. was all clear. What do they, what do they charge for that analysis? It's not much. I think it's about 30 quid. But if really? you buy two, so one for now and one for the next year, uh, oil change, it's, it's only about 40 quid or something. It's so really that, simple. You just get a tiny little flask, dump a bit of oil in it, put your name on it, post it off, and they send you a nice little graph showing you know, all the different elements. It even tells if you've got antifreeze in there and because okay. the, the bearings have got uh, different metals than, for example, the nickel liners. So they can even drill down to sort of what particular metal it's got in there and what what bearing or what part of the engine it might be coming from okay okay so you have the 996 you enjoy it it's a great car you found a good one great car yeah and then all of a sudden you you start looking for you start so the current car let's get onto your current car because it comes it actually does it does impact the 996 because the 996 has to go right this is what happens the 996 has to go quickly has to go quickly so tell the listeners you were you looking for Tell the listeners what you started looking for, and was that what you were looking for—the the, the 911s that you that you actually eventually bought, or were you um, looking for something else? Not entirely. To be honest, me and Nick uh, own a story pre- a couple previous 912. Yeah. Uh, we've been mates for many many years, um, and we've always loved the air cooled stuff. So, um, I'm, as I say, a car guy, I'm, I'm always always on the internet, always keeping an eye on prices. You know, I've, I subscribe to various Porsche magazines, and um, yeah, as I say, I thought. I'd, well and truly missed the boat on the, the classic Porsche, air-cooled Porsche. Um, 
and it doesn't help with all these cool trendy videos on youtube and lifestyle and stuff you know and yeah. you look at it and think i'm really missing out on this i just just i just love the scene and we'd go to things like box and gas and sunday scramble which are a couple yeah. of events up here fantastic and, fantastic and you just see these porsches and i just yeah i've got to i've got to go to hopefully in summer everything's opened up again and they have those events because i want to go to one of those events yeah boxing gasping yeah after years really good event really really good event if you do one porsche event that's that's one of my favorites that one is such good range cars i want to go back to that point you made that you know that air cools and you said it i think in the message you sent me in the email you sent me that you thought air cools are out of reach and i think you mentioned it earlier as well and, you know, they thought they were out of reach. The prices were going to be too high. And this is what I like about you, uh, your story, which we're going to get into, and also Nick's story. In that, and, I, and Nick did actually share with me how much he paid for the car. And I'm not going to tell all the listeners because I think that's private and he kept it private. But he did tell me how much he paid for the car. Yeah. And, and you, you don't have a problem with people knowing how much you paid no, for the car, No, not at all. No, so we'll get into that. So, so yeah. the thing is, the price both of you guys pay for the car is really, you know, it gives you hope. It really does. And I yeah, think that the list, people the listening, thing. yeah, and people listening, it's true. There's a lot of fashion about the 911. There's, Instagram hasn't helped, even though we love Instagram, you know, but you <laughs> can still get into a really good air cooled. And I say really good, you know, as in really good. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll yeah, talk you about yours, Jack. <laughs> yeah, you <hope> <laughs> um, but you can still get into one for reasonable money. So, yeah, if you take a chance and look so, out, the, out the box. Yeah. Where did you start looking? For, the, for your 911, for the air-cooled? Where did you start? Um, so generally, I stuck on a lot of UK sites. So me and Nick were sort of looking. Um, I blame Stuttgart. So um, our long-suffering <laughs> wives had uh, had some quality time with the children back in October uh, 2019, I think it was. Uh, me and Nick decided to go to Stuttgart um, to go to the Porsche Museum uh, and the Merck one, do a sort of you know, a nice long weekend away, bit of culture yep. in Porsche Museum. And yep. um, yeah, it's just... Once you go there, you kind of, I think, I think they spray you with something. You just come out of that museum <laughs> and you just, you know, everything you went in there, it was like, you know, because he had a 944 at the time, I had a 996 and we were both, you know, yeah, we're really happy with what we've got. If this is our Porsche, you know, it's not a bad life and all that. Yep. You come out there and you think, Christ, I really want an air-cooled car. They're <laughs> <laughs> really cool. And we're both sort of scheming and plotting how to get into an air-cooled car. And I think it was that Christmas, Nick said, right, I'm just going to have to do this. I don't, you know, even if it ends up, being an absolute hound at least i've got one it's got my name on it. it's in my garage it'd be a long-term project but i've got air cooled yep so i kind of thought well yeah crack on so anyway he started asking about websites and looking at south africa um, and i previously looked at south africa and it was just importing it was a pain and the portion why is that why south africa is there a reason um, why was a, just a dry state and looking for somewhere that was dry and somewhere alternative because prices in the uk are just skyrocketed yeah they're crazy um, they're crazy. And generally, if it's been here all its life, it's it's generally rotten. So the idea is if if looking looking abroad. So so is um, South Africa a good market for air cooled nine elevens? Is it? Is there a lot there? Not, not didn't appear to be. When this uh, this was a previous phase of mine, I was looking at old Japanese cars. So I was going to import oh, yes. a Datsun five ten, and they were really cheap. So I, I was looking at Datsuns. That was a couple of years ago. Right. Um, and I'd noticed Porsches were out there, but they didn't seem cheap. And um, there isn't a very well-defined transit route. I mean, buying from America is so straightforward, but um, buying from South Africa doesn't seem very straightforward and it's yep. a lot of red tape and it, it just seemed more hassle than it was worth. And the price wasn't, you know, they were a real premium car over there, so there wasn't any price benefit. So anyway, Nick was looking around. I, I've always kept an eye on classic cars and a classic car website and a few others. And there'd been a couple pop up around the 30 mark and I'd, I'd rush off and hit the mortgage calculator and work out 
everything I owned and, you know, how much money I'd need to get there. And it, it, to be honest, the maths never quite worked out. I didn't, right. I didn't want to get into Porsche air-cooled ownership with a loan and also trying to put money, you know, aside for a slush fund um, for annual maintenance. It just, just, the numbers just wouldn't work, especially for a toy, you know, and yeah. trying to convince yourself that it's a growing asset, you know, the world. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> You know, you kind of hope on it. That's but you what, can't we, tell bank our, on it, that's what you? we tell our wives, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's an asset. Yeah, it's yeah. An asset. But then they're expected it. to sell it, though, wouldn't they? That's the downside. So yeah, I, um, so yeah, I was looking at Europe. Europe seems to get a lot of cars from America, and they seem to go for quite cool uh, safety color ones. You get the oranges and the bright greens, and they seem to pick up some really cool stuff. And I was noticing there was quite a few. Um, I use a patina. It really annoys my wife, but I use the word patina. They they seem to pick up a lot of stuff that's you know maybe got an old paint job or original paint job with a bit of sunburn on it, and I just I just really love that that look. You know that slightly alternative look of you know um, not being pampered and over restored. Um, so uh, so you started looking. So you started looking, and you yep. found a car. You eventually found the car that you thought, okay, this is this is it. I'm going to sell everything. Yeah. And I'm going to buy this car. So tell the listeners what you actually found and where you found it. So it was on Pelican Parts Forum, which is an American uh, Porsche forum. They have a a classic car, uh, a Porsche car for sale. Um, And after the end of every month, everything drops off. So they they keep it down to about five pages. Um, And I've been looking through there and I got to page five and there was just a really basic advert, 1976 Porsche 911S. And I kind of didn't even, I was not going to bother. And I pressed it anyway and, up it popped and it was like wow this is pretty cool it was it was cheap it was twenty three thousand dollars but it 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 kind of crossed the line of patina and rusty because <laughs> basically the bonnet most of the paint had come off the bonnet and it it was still it was one of the galvanized cars so it kind of got this unusual galvanized slight rust flaky paint let me just tell the listeners why you're telling the story go to why you're listening to the podcast if you can go to uh go to jack's instagram and it's sunburnt underscore lobster underscore 911. Look at the pictures when he's telling you what it is because it is definitely patinaed. It is. <laughs> it has got a great patina. So, sorry, sorry, Jack, go on. No, yeah. So, yeah, the first impressions weren't great. Uh, there was only sort of two pictures there. The advert was quite basic. But to be honest, I, you know, once I'd seen the price and seen the car, and for me, the, the, the killer part was the fact it had lobster red tweed interior. Now, I, I really like these contrasting clashing colours. I love that previous, interior, by the way. Oh, so I, I think I think it's fantastic. I saw it and just, I thought, man, that interior is just—it's everywhere. It's, <laughs> it's just like everywhere. a bloodbath in there. There's red furry carpet <laughs> up the, up the yeah. sides, and oh, it's mad. And I just, yeah. for me, that just like really—I just thought I've got to have this car because, funny enough, on the nine I six, I was I was looking at like um, boxed red GT three seats. You know, they're ridiculous money. I absolutely love red interior. Um, so, so this car yeah. was this car was a running car, right? It wasn't just a turning yeah. motor. It was actually a drivable running yeah. car. The guy was using the car. Yeah, yeah, he was using it daily. So it, 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 I'm not quite sure the backstory. Unfortunately, I don't get a huge amount of backstory off it. I believe it'd been owned, um, it, it'd been owned for a number of years, um, been parked up as a non-runner. So he'd got it as a bit of a project, um, and he buys sort of uh, the odd European car, and he does American trucks and stuff. So he's he's kind of into sort of doing little projects. So he'd replace the whole fuel system, so that included tank lines, and he couldn't get the original fuel injection to work. So he junked it and bought a um, a Bits EFI, which basically works off a mega squirt EFI. 
Right. And um, bits and the guy who does bit CFI does uh, custom fuel rails. Basically, makes an entire turnkey bolt-in part. I think they're about fifteen hundred dollars, but basically, it converts an old CIS Porsche to a, a modern. Um, EFI that you can plug in and program off laptops and stuff. So he had done all that. I think he'd replaced a couple of shocks, done some brakes. Fortunately, he hadn't touched the bodywork and basically got it up to a drivable standard. And, so he um, did the work on the car himself? He did all the work yeah, himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually started a YouTube channel now and I've, I've kept in quite close contact with him. Uh, so he raced uh, national sprint cars. Um, so he was quite mechanically savvy, really, and he'd got a good history of tinkering with cars um, and it was one of those sort of typical American yards there was like a, an old 50s wagon up on bricks there was some really? American truck he just had a yard full of cars but when you're buying a Porsche it's probably not the best yeah. looking sort of advert you know a yard full of cars so you, 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 you did a video call with this guy you called him you, you went through the car doesn't have a lot of history you said so there's not a lot no, of records of no. there's no cardex there's no previous owners there's no service books service history there's none of that sort of stuff that no no it's pretty much what you see is um so I showed my wife a picture of it and she just laughed and said, God, that's, that's the worst looking thing I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely <laughs> disgusting. And yeah, I haven't got 20 grand. So apart from that, you know, crack on. Okay, so, so, said, you, yeah, but. <laughs> so you start talking to the guy. It's 20,000, 20,000 US, right? 23,000 yeah. US. So you try to get him down in price? You decide you I want tried. it? And you, <laughs> didn't yeah, so, um, yeah, so was, a couple of emails went back and forth. And by this time, I still hadn't got permission from my wife. I'd kind of floated the idea and got, you know, told not a chance you ain't got the money and I'd kind of done some mad maths in my head that I, I could just scrape the money for it if I sold everything but it wasn't a, an amazing plan to be honest I didn't expect the car to still be there it was on page five of the advert it was cheap you know I've never seen a Porsche that cheap especially one that was sort of running and all together um, and it turned out the guy had loads of offers it, it had a lot of IR8 PCA members emailing him, demanding him to sell it to him for 10 grand because it was despicable what he'd done oh, to really? it. He kind of laughed them off. He thought it was quite funny. So, um, This is what is. I was going to get to. Is this why the car was was available? And this is why, because, you know, there's so many people and you've only got to look at Bring a Trailer and, and you know, even P-Car Market and you look at the comments that people leave and they're so like, everything has to be perfect. They want this classic car and they want everything to be perfect. They want everything matching. They want all the papers, you know, the, the air conditioning vent is the wrong model year. And yes, the, yeah. You know what I mean? Or the Speedo is the wrong. And they're so particular in that these ones like the one you found, and I think Nick's is obviously probably... Nick's it's is probably nicer, yeah. nicer, right? It's slightly <laughs> nicer, right? But it is a nine twelve. It's not a nine, but it's not a yeah. He's got a really good one, but it's not a nine eleven S. Yours is still no, a nine eleven S, which has flat six, yeah, yeah, which has a lot of cred. And and the thing is, is this why these cars are there? The cars are there if you search for them because these people that are looking for nine elevens at the moment are being too fussy. You know what I mean? It, it could well be. Um, I think he wasn't a hugely motivated seller. So, I mean, it's, it's always a game buying and selling. So, speaking to him, he said, yeah, I've had loads of offers. I've got an email, a folder, and I'll just stick all the offers in there. And he wasn't massively motivated. And I guess you saw his yard full of He's cars. He's a good salesman, kind of, Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, 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 there he was. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't massively motivated. So, it's kind of playing that sort of game with, you know, sort of trying to work out what the best offer is. And he said straight off the bat, he just said 23 is where it's at. Buy okay. or sell it, buy, you know, take it or leave it. That's the number. Um, I've got other people interested in it, but I'm kind of not massively motivated. If it stays a bit longer, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, so it was kind of like, 
I looked at it and I just, I just fell in love with the car, really, and I kind of did the maths and I worked out that if I sold pretty much everything I earned, cashed all my chips in, I could, I could certainly pay for the car and the deposit on the shipping. So how did, you get the, how did you get the car, though, then, if you had to sell? So you had to sell the 996? Yeah, I had a motorbike, a 996, and a few other bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, so how do you sell them so quickly? How do you sell them so quickly <laughs> and don't miss out on the, on the sunburned lobster? Yeah, it was a bit of a, bit of a challenge. I think I had the deal done in in a couple of days, I think. It was just uh, miraculous, really. I mean, so I spoke to him and said, look, you know, it's going to be tr- tricky getting the money. I, I'm, I'm really up for it. So I put a decent deposit down. He was like, well, I'm not, not really that interested in a deposit. I just want to sell it. You know, I was like, right, okay, but I've got to sell some stuff. And he was like, well, you sound like a stand-up sort of guy. I'll, um, I'll, ho- I'll hold it for you, you know, for a week or so. I think it was a week or something. He said, I'll hold it for you for a week. You oh, know? that's good. I said, well, you know, I said, that's good. But he said, I really, you know, I, d- I don't want any long drawn out because you have to remember when when you're selling something, if you've got somebody from a different country as a buyer, you know it's going to be more hassle than if somebody just turns up, gives you the money and goes away. Yeah, true, true. So you kind of have to sort of win their confidence and trust and promise that you're going to love the car forever and that you're not just going to be a time waster. Because if I'm a seller and I've got you know some a really easy seller, I've got a real pain in the ass sale, and I know which one I'd go for. So you kind of got to sort of play the game a little bit and sort of you know, yeah, you know, not push yeah. your luck too much, I guess. Um, so yeah, no. Fortunately, I had quite a few photos of my 906, and um, I've probably already written an ad before. Um, I might may have already drafted an ad, so um, I ended up putting it on Facebook Marketplace for a, a good price. Um, had loads of interest. Uh, all the usual stuff that you know. Do you mind taking it for a full inspection and all this sort of stuff? And I was like, well, not really. It's a good <laughs> price. It is what it is. If you want it. And I ended up selling it to a, a 996 trader who turned up that afternoon, okay. gave me the cash. So I had to take a bit of a um, – I had to sell it at lower than market price. But Did you, Jack, have issues though? Because, you know, the thing in everyone's head when they're buying a 996 especially, did they actually have an issue because it hadn't had the IMS um, yeah. thing? Yeah, definitely. So it was a so, problem when you go to sell it for, for yeah. most people. Yeah. So they all wanted me to – do the risk and uh, take it for an inspection, get it ball scope, get it all checked out. Which but even though you have those oil samples and you can say, I've been doing this and there's nothing showing yeah, up, there wasn't enough. Enough. First question was IMS. Everyone asked IMS. Uh, fortunately, the garage I sold it to, which is Friends Green, they do a lot of 996s and 997s. Um, they always change an IMS as, as a matter of part. Um, when they sell their car, it's part of their pre-prep as they do the IMS, they do various bits and pieces, but then they get top dollar. So um, he, he so uh, yeah, Friends Green didn't really care about the IMS. Uh, they saw the oil; that was quite good. They liked the car. They gave me decent money for it. What I was asking for it, okay. I mean, um, and and they replaced the IMS. I did ask them to to let me know if um, you know if it was wonky or if it was still fine. But um, it actually featured on one of their videos. They compared it against a. Uh, I think it was a later, early generation. But okay. yeah, my my black car was one of their video cars. Okay. Fantastic. Um, so, you okay? So you're communicating with a guy in the US. You know you want this car. You've only seen a couple of photos that he's put on um, online. What? How do you check it out? How do you? How you? How do you make the decision? How are you comfortable with making the decision buying that car from the US from this guy? Yes, it's quite tricky because it was COVID times and um, America was various parts of America was in proper lockdown and there was different states that weren't and I think their state had been hit. It was New Hampshire being hit quite hard. So I'd Googled uh, for Porsche specialists in the local area. And unfortunately, the one 
Porsche specialist was closed for business. Um, so I Googled around and there was like a European car garage service. They weren't a specialist. But um, I contacted them and said, look, I'm really interested in this car. How much would you charge to do an inspection? I understand it won't be like a full Porsche PPI. However, just get it up on the ramps, check it hasn't got any major rust and, the, you know, it's, it's not two cars welded into one and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was quite a reasonable price. It was wasn't wasn't too much to be honest um and they they sent the owner was pretty agreeable he, he knew of this garage and you know he got nothing to hide so we took it over there so um i, I think i'd given him a deposit by this stage okay basically said you know all being well I'll, I'll, the car will be bought there and then uh once it goes through the inspection so what showed up on the inspection was there anything major that that put the flag up for you and thought mm, maybe not not really, no, no. The garage sort of inspected it, said, yeah, it needs TLC was their words. Um, they said, yeah, the paint's, you know, gone on it. It needs a paint job and it's got a few bits and pieces here and there. But there wasn't anything glaring. They took it for a road test, said, yeah, it goes through the gears fine. The engine's, engine's fine. As far as we can see, there's nothing majorly untoward about it. But, you know, there's usual caveats that we're not Porsche experts, you know, and it's, you know, it's an old car, you know, and it does need TLC. Um, so I, I so mechanically, mechanically, it's pretty good. It's just the body, right? It's just the paintwork, and the paintwork yeah, has a lot yeah. of patina. There's, is there rust on the body? Is yeah, it there's a little bit. There's a tiny bit on the window, windscreen corner. Um, there's a couple of little bits of localized, but nothing glaring. Um, but the floor, say, the floor and the yeah, front really and everything is okay, right? Yeah, absolutely solid, yeah, solid as a rock. Um, there's a tiny bit where the impact bumper brackets are. Um, right tiny little bit there that's kind of worked its way inside um, and how were things like of, the fuel tank and those sort of things were they all in good condition yeah because he'd replaced it so he'd replaced the fuel tank along with the rest of the he'd replaced the it fuel system. yeah so um that was that was fine um as i say the floor plans were probably they were actually better than the top of the car because it hadn't been subjected to weather all the floor plans were all original there was no under seal on it and there was um really no welding work on wow. underneath the car so yeah that's it's really pretty, solid that's pretty rare isn't it i mean normally yeah. there's always a bit of rust in, in the floor panels yeah no it's absolutely solid and very surprising because um so how many how many video calls did you do with the guy did you do a lot or did you do just no, like one or two just the one okay, just <laughs> I think the there was one, one. <laughs> okay. As I say, this I'm going is, back to what Nick did with all these yeah, photos it was and video calls I'm what thinking Nick did. that you know Nick did all these sensible <laughs> stuff and I just did the I want the car yeah it sounds about but right. you did get an inspection I, I'm impressed by that yeah. you did get the you did get the inspection done and, and everything was okay for the for the year of the car and, and, and etc so then the you then you have to organise you you go back. You think about ten years before when you shipped the car from the American car from the US. So, do you have a contact in the US that you can use to ship? How do you? How did you go about it? I think Nick had a recommendation, didn't he? I think he told me he had a recommendation, or he called someone and got a recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Nick had done quite a bit of the homework because he was a couple of months ahead of um, everything than me because he decided to buy his one. Uh, couple of months before I'd even considered looking. And it was only because he sent me a picture of a 76912E that he'd been sort of shown shown as part of interest. And I think it was about $17,000. And I kind of looked at it and thought, well, actually, actually I could go air-cooled. It's not totally what do you out think of the realms. What do you think of the 912E? I'm not, I'm not sure about them. I'm still not 100% sure. Not, not sure, but I, I kind of looked at it and thought, well, it gets me <laughs> air-cooled. And if I pull the engine out and put a level lump in, I'm, oh, I'm right. kind of there. So it's probably not the ideal 912E owner. But I think it got a lot of bad press um, yeah. back day but now i think people see it for what it is and it's yeah I've, i mean got me, got me i was in the club. 
I was told that the, I think Mark, it was actually Mark actually that owned the 356 who was on a previous owner's stories from Melbourne from Mark and Cars who has a YouTube channel. I think he told me that the 912 engine is actually a more reliable engine than the than the 912E engine is more reliable yeah. than the 912. Yeah, the 912 is quite an advanced engine, isn't it? It's a 356 that's retuned and they're, they're quite, yeah. quite a, an expensive engine to build. Whereas a 912E, I believe, is um, like a Type 4 style VW based engine that is, um, as you say, a bit more reliable. And Right, right. So did you use the same shipping people that Nick used? So yeah. You had that, you had that contact, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I basically used uh, Nick's contact. Um, it was a bit better than the last time I did it because it was a door-to-door service. So the last time I imported it, there was quite a lot of legwork yourself, or um, which, which caused quite a lot of so someone that's So when you do this and, you, and you've got an own and you've got the, the, you know, the seller, does the seller hold the car for you? Does the, the shipping people come and pick the car up from the seller or do you have to get the car sent to a warehouse or what is the process? So the listeners, if someone's thinking about doing this, is it an easy oh, process yeah. or is it a little bit tricky? It's not too bad. I mean, if you're buying from a dealer, you've got obviously a lot more, um, you've got a lot more protection. Because uh, I guess one of the problems I hadn't really thought about was if you're buying it privately, the guy's got the title and he's insuring under his name, etc. But as soon as he sells it to you, does the invoice and hands the title over, in theory, it's my property. The, down- yes. the problem is it's the wrong side of the ocean. And I have no idea how you'd insure a car in America when you're actually in England. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that kind of became a bit of an issue. But fortunately, I'd kind of worked my way around it that the guy did the inspection under big garage and and they were willing to uh store it and insure it uh, for okay. the duration so that kind of worked out really well that it kind of totally de-risked that that in the end the guy i was buying it from agreed to leave it with them so rather than take it home so after the inspection i phoned up i spoke to the, the guy who owned the shop and said yep i'm gonna have the car i've paid him okay here's a copy of the title and um there is definitely a bit of honesty and faith in there. <laughs> i was gonna say you're trusting <laughs> you're trusting little, the yeah. owner of the shop here aren't oh, you yeah, because yeah everyone yeah. really yeah i mean yeah yeah it is there definitely needs to be a trust but um when you're working at that budget you've got to take a punt i mean if you were buying a 50 grand car i probably wouldn't even consider buying it from america or something i'd you know yeah so the shop so the shop is is holding the car for you the shop yep. did the ppi it's holding it for you they've got insurance so the car's covered so yep. then when it goes to the shipper then it goes on to the shipper's insurance correct so yep, then the shipping correct. insurance covers it and then it's okay yep. it's just that in between bit in where between, you have yeah. where you have to get it from and the extra cost that can be that you can incur when you have to get it from the purchase from the seller to the shipper you know what i mean absolutely especially if there's a distance between the ports yeah so um yeah, the seller did actually offer to keep it in his garage, but I kind of, you know, my trust okay. only goes so far, especially with some of you never met before. So yeah. so, yeah, I definitely took the shop up on their offer to store it. It was only like $100 to store it and insure it for two weeks. Uh, so the shipper arranged, arranged all the shipping, um, sent a truck down to the shop, loaded it on, took some pictures of it. And uh, the next time I saw it, it was in New Jersey docks being loaded and had its uh, inspection report. So how long did it take in, in total for the shipping to get to the UK and et cetera? It's about 2,000 pounds or so, somewhere like that, two or 3,000 yeah. pounds to yeah. ship? Yeah, um, and then import duty is about 5% because it's an import, uh, because it's a, a classic car, so it comes under a, a different uh, import duty, a lower import duty. So um, it took about a week or so for the transport to get to the shop um, because it was already in New Hampshire and just had to go across to New Jersey. It was only... I think about an hour and a half or two hours. It wasn't a long journey at all. Um, and then it was just a case of getting onto the next boat, 
And then once it's on the boat, it's really quick. It was probably less than 10 days port to port. Okay. Um, and part of the door-to-door service was they arranged a, a vehicle and a trailer to collect it from Southampton. And uh, once it hit Southampton, they're just so keen to get it out of the port. It, to be honest, it barely spent any time in Southampton. So when it arrived, what was what did you do? Did you get it sent to your shop? Did it, did it come straight to your house? What, what, what was the process? Yeah, I got it sent to my house. Um, when I had the American car, I had it sent to an American car specialist and they sort of MOT'd it and checked it all over, which is the most sensible thing to do. Um, but as I said, I blame most of my budget anyway by this stage, so I, I didn't really have that sort of, so it comes to, to your it. house and you can't drive it yet because you have to get it compliance, is it, or MOT'd, or what's the, is that what has to happen? You can't drive the car or you can drive the car? <laughs> Technically, no, you can't drive the car because it's because on American you, plates. And you can't get it um, insured, right? You'd have problems getting yeah, insurance? Yeah, you can insure it on the VIN number. Oh, you can? Yeah, small print on insurance says you can't drive it, so I definitely didn't drive it at all Okay. Um, <laughs> until I realised the insurance. So, uh, yeah, you, you can't drive, so you have to register it with the, the DVLA and, uh, again, so what COVID. did you have to do to get it registered and be able to drive it? What did you have to do? Was there anything major that you had to do to fix? Did it need new tyres? Did it need new lights? Did you have to adjust anything because it's a left-hand drive? <laughs> well, this is the ridiculous rules of the classic car market in the UK is because it was 76, you have to do absolutely nothing. All you do is you just register it. The DVLA come and inspect it, uh, not from a compliance perspective. They come to do it from a... Um, uh, from a from a, a duty perspective, because you're okay. you're um, importing on the five percent classic, you you've got to be careful that you know it hasn't got a brand new you know V8 engine in it, and it's completely not what it should be. So all okay. they do is they come and check the, the chassis number to make sure it matches and the the engine number. So nothing to do with safety, just to do with duty. No, if you don't choose to MOT it, you don't have to MOT it. So so technically, you don't actually have to do anything. I have changed the lamps to right hand drive and. You know, fortunately, it had new tyres and wheels on it. Um, so, but, what, um, what were the surprises? Because there were obviously a couple oh, of surprises. So, when you when you <laughs> started to look inside, what yeah. what did you find that the video the video call and the inspection didn't actually tell you? Yeah, um, definitely picking away at a, a little scab on the inner wing um, revealed some some rust. So, as I said before, that's from where the bumper. There's kind of a horrible dirt trap where it kind of gets in there. So that wasn't something I was aware of. But hindsight, it wouldn't have been a showstopper for me. It was just one of those things. Did you get that um, fixed or you just left it for now? Kind of left it for now. I will, I will get it fixed. Um, but the idea is I'm going to treat this very much as a patch repair drive job rather than try to get a concourse. It's just going to, you know, if, if I can get away without having to buy pattern, you know, genuine Porsche parts and, you know, I get a patch repair done as opposed to, a, you know, a properly blended job, I'll definitely go down the, the cheaper route where I can. I already know uh, the answer to this question, but are you getting it repainted? Definitely not. <laughs> and that's no, what I like. No. I think it looks fantastic. It. Yeah, it looks cool. fantastic. Oh, um, I, I remember that. I remember there was a 912 for sale on Bring a Trailer when I first started looking, I think, beginning of COVID, and it was a burgundy one. And it had the same, yes, same yes. I don't know whether you saw it. It had I think that, I did, yeah, it was a bit, they was a bit lower and it had like full patina. And you know what? It looked fantastic. And it went for a oh, reasonably good it. price and it looked fantastic. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think the concourse money. ones sometimes are a little bit, you know, they're not so yeah. great. I mean, it's nice they to have that character, that, that story behind it, you know. It's only original once, isn't it, as they yeah. say? Yeah, and you can't, yeah. and you're not scared about driving it. You're going to drive it around yeah. London. You're going to drive it on the roads. It doesn't matter about stone chips. It doesn't matter about anything. Definitely. And at the shows, you know, um, a, a box of gas, there was a couple of 912s there that were patina. 
and you know, I was sort of hanging around taking photos and the positive comments you hear from people, they just, you know, they walk past all the concourse ones and they look at, you know, ones with flaky paint and they're just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. It's really yeah. honest and there's something the, different, isn't it? It is. The concourse different. ones, you know, they're not, you know, I understand why people want to have yeah. the concourse, but they get a little... I mean, I'm going to get up, get in trouble for this, but they get a little bit boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they do, do become a little bit boring because they're all a little bit too perfect and you don't want it to be completely perfect. You want it to be no, mechanically no. sound. You want it to drive really well. You want it to sound yeah. well. But as an investment, unfortunately, the, you know, concourse is, I guess, the way you've got to go. So do you know what options came with your car? Yeah, yeah. It, so I, I, there's a guy uh, on Pelican Parts who's still got access um, to some of the, the factory records. Um, so I managed to get... Uh, the the options um let's see if i've got it on me or not um from memory so it had the extended tweed interior so that basically meant there's tweed all over the inner door cards and which is really cool oh, yeah, it's so <laughs> awesome um what else did it had it had a stronger starter motor so it had the 1.5 ps starter motor uh, it had front fogs which i removed they were broken anyway okay had the uh, bright trim around the wheel arches and the rocker seal rockers are uh, polished stainless. Um, what else did it have? The, it fog, the fog lights are uh, not cheap to replace, are they? Oh, they're a fortune. I saw them on online actually because I was looking at a 912 on Beverly Hills Car Club, which was turning motor. They've got a white one on there, a bit like Nick's. Um, turning motor only or something, so obviously it doesn't run properly. And it had all broken fog lights. So I was just checking the prices of the parts to buy if you had to replace them. But they were, they were not cheap. No, not at all. So uh, mine had been removed and the valance was a bit dented. So I decided to – I prefer the smooth look. So I picked up a valance really cheaply, a smooth one. So I just, just got rid of the fogs completely. Um, and it wasn't a huge option, but it had, had, a, had a couple. It was a 911S, but as I found out in 76, they were all 911Ss. I think they dropped the base model by that time. Oh, it's difficult they? keeping up. Yeah, really difficult keeping up with what Porsche were doing. And I think it was all around the emissions thing. So California had all the um, the react, I think they call it heat reactors or reactors, thermal reactors or something. Oh, that right. And exhaust right. and cause them to overheat. So how something. does it how does it sound? How does the car sound? Has it had an ex- did the guy put any type of exhaust on it? Is there any modification done or is it is it something you're going to do? Uh, it's been hacked. Um, so okay. it's got it's got a rear mounted uh, oil cooler and fan pretty much where the uh, secondary muffler would be, so okay. at the rear of the car. God knows whether it's efficient or effective or not. I'll, I'll find out this summer. So anyway, to fit it in, the, um, the, the the final muffler had to go. So basically, he's kind of hacked the right. primary muffler, which would have been like a cat in, in one of the California cars, but it's a pre-muffler in this. It's kind of extended out, so it's a bit longer, okay. and it, it sounds really, really cool. It's got a proper evil sort of air cool. V8-ish burble. It's, it sounds awesome. So, Perfect. So yeah. what, what's on the books, Jack? What are you going to do? Is there anything you've got on the books to do before summer? Hopefully summer there's no more lockdown in London. There's no more T4, T5 or whatever it is now. Oh, definitely. What What have you got on the books to, to get it ready for the, for the summer drives? I've done quite a bit of tinkering myself. I like to sort of get my hands dirty. So I've, I've gone through, I had a really long shopping list and I've slowly gone through ticking, ticking through items. I had to rebuild the uh, pedal cluster, um, new bushes in the master cylinder had blown and it completely soaked it all and just turned it into a horrible rotten suit but fortunately it hadn't rotted the floor pan out so god knows how but as luck would have it it didn't rot the floor pan out it just made a complete mess of the pedal cluster so i rebuilt that so it's proper smooth now uh brake master's right pane it's right underneath the car um 
So it's taken quite a few attempts to try to get that 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 sealed basically so it doesn't leak. I had right. to replace a couple of brake lines, solid lines while I was under there. Um just loads of little tinkering jobs. There was nothing major. I replaced the left hand lenses with uh, some right hand ones and um I chose got some yellow lenses on there. I just like the look of the yellow. Yeah, lens. the yellow's nice. The shocks are all okay, you said, right? He'd recently changed the yeah. shocks or they had yeah. an upgrade. Yeah, so it, I think it's got it's got the green conies, it's got green oh, yeah. shocks around. Yeah. Um, it needs ones. lowering. It's not not quite balanced right, so um, I'll probably adjust the torsion bars and just just get it stanced right. Um, it's got sixteen inch wheels on it. They're really cool. Uh, they're like what are those wheels light. actually? What are, are they? Were they stock on that car or they're not stock? No. What are those no, wheels no. called? Um, they're they're a company called VTO, and I think they're called Super Ace. They're kind of a cross between a Mini Light and a, a Watanabe. You know, like yeah. the Japanese cars have that sort of thick eight-spoke. I do like them. Really I cool. haven't seen them oh, before. I, them. I, I do like them. No. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a bit like a Mini Light and 16s. Um, so they're running, I think, at 205, 55 at the front and a 215, 50 at the back. I think. Right. It, it's got a really good good look about it, and I've. I've driven it a couple of times, and it. So how does it drive? Really nice. oh, I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. It's miles away from the nine hundred six. You know the pedals are offset. You know it's got a massive long throw on the nine y five box. And here's the question: um, Actually, your, your obsession with motorcycles. You know, you told me you've owned lots of great bikes, Ducatis and etc. Yeah. Um, I've only ever driven a two fifty. I had. A, I've got a motorcycle license, but I only had a two fifty for a little while, and then I got rid of it. Um, All right. Yeah. Is the experience? Is the experience of an air-cooled, driving an air-cooled car with the window down similar to being on a bike? The smell and the sensation, you think? Or is it still far removed? The funniest thing, that the closer it is to a bike is weight transfer. Okay. So I was trying to think about this the other day. That's why I like it. When you ride a bike, especially well and fast on the track and stuff, yep. it's all about weight transfer. It's being really sensitive to, you know, when you're braking, your weight's forward and as you're accelerating, all the weight goes yes. back, yeah. using your body to sort of transfer weight. Um, and driving a, an older 911 is very much like riding a bike and you're really sensitive. You know where the weight is. On a 911, it's static. It's right at the back. You know, so you haven't got that. You know, you can't move yourself around to move it. So you kind of drive the car according to the weight. And I think that's what I particularly like about them is it's, it's kind of um, – it takes a lot of learning. But once you get to understand where that, that weight is and how to use it uh, to sort of benefit the drive – so it's, it's it's close to the bike in that respect, um, and obviously it's it's sort of got the, the noise and the rawness that, that does come with bikes. But I think for me, it's it's the weight, it's being able to sort of the use weight. the weight, yeah, to sort of make good progress, yeah, and understanding is... how the weight can sort of perhaps catch you out if you if you break trail exactly. break into a corner or yeah, know. exactly, exactly. Um, so is that is that it for the? Are you still? Would you go back to a water cooled nine eleven? Would you go back to something more modern? Would you go back to a nine nine seven or a nine nine six again? Or you you think after having the air cooled, that's it? I hope this is my long term car. I always say that, and I always end up flipping them. But I sincerely, I really want to keep this a long time and sort of get to know it and sort of keep it. It's it's as I say, it ticks so many boxes. Or you know, you know, even before I thought I could afford one, I. You know, me and Nick were talking years ago, and you know, 1976 is the same year I was born, so that was kind of a, a cool thing to have. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, it just ticks so many boxes. You know, I really didn't want a sunroof car. I just, just don't like the look of them so much. I have to say, it's pretty cool. Both, uh, you know, Nick's 912 in white, and yours in uh, the Pitina and the 911s is a pretty good pair to have. I hope you take some good photos and uh, get them up as well, because it'd be a good, uh, it'd a good photo shoot with those two together. 
Yeah, and one of our mates has got a 356 that's sort of patinaed as well. And there's, oh, okay. there's a couple of guys in the local area, and we've all sort of got air-cooled Porsches, and we all know sort of through the flat six jack, you know, it's quite local to us all. So, yes, yes. You know, a lot but, of the, he seems Ajmal, to sort of, Ajmal uses yes, as well, Ajmal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He seems so, like a really um, nice guy. He's got a really good shop. Uh, flat, six, yeah. flat six jack on Instagram, if you're wondering who we're talking about, who's a Porsche shop in just outside of London. Yeah. So, so what um, about the? So you've got great roads about around where you live. I always ask this question about you know if <laughs> someone's if someone's coming to your area and they want to go for a drive or in London, what roads would you say for them to go on? What what roads would you take in nine eleven? Is there roads in London or outside of London in Scotland? Or so I, I'm slightly outside. I'm towards Reading way. Um, so I'd probably stick off the sort of st- sorry stick away. Um, Keep away from some of the sort of better known A roads that have got a bit of a reputation now. There's some, you know, for for back in the bike days, you know, there were fast roads and had quite a few fatalities. They've got all these speeding restrictions and things like A272 and 339. They were they're kind of fast roads and you get your jollies out of them. But you know, modern days, it's just not where the fun is. So I'd probably um, start on the B roads and um, we're quite near the North Downs here, so you can shoot across Kingsclear. Pick up North Downs, like water shit down country, um, and shoot across to Andover and Salisbury. Um, so you're driving across the Downs, you know, there's nice little villages. You're kind of, you're not going to get caught up with all the traffic. Um, yeah, nice. I'd keep to the back roads nowadays. The main A roads are just too cluttered in too the cluttered. south. So I need to go back to the Stuttgart trip. You and Nick went to Stuttgart. And that's when you got the idea to buy air-cooled, both of you. Are you going to take the, the 911 and the 912 on a, on a road trip? Is that the plan? I'd hope so, yeah. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's some cool events around and, yeah, there's, um, there's some, some good clubs around and uh, it would be nice to do some road trips, definitely. Um, it's going to take a bit of trust. That's one thing. I'm going to have to sort of trust that car exactly. you know, to that's, get me there and back. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right, isn't it? But that's the fun of yeah. it, right? That's the fun of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I'm I think sure. mm. sort of tinkering with it, I, I've gained so much confidence. I mean, I've, I've tinkered with bikes for years, but I've never really done cars. Um, and it just needs muster, really, you know, budgets and things. I kind of just thought, you know, I've got to got to make this happen. So I've kind of got stuck in and yeah, yeah. loads of useful advice on YouTube and Jack, it's a great story. I mean, it, it really does. And, you know, your story and Nick's story, you know, both of them, and even uh, Ajmal from Flat Cap Driver, it just shows you that if, if, you, are, if you look, you can actually find an air-cooled, you can find a water-cooled at a good price. Um, there are still cars out there. I think you're right. I don't think you can find them in the UK and Europe because it seems like all these sellers in UK and Europe are bringing them in from the US anyway and just marking the price up. That's what it appears to be happening. Yeah. Um, so you really do have to go direct to the source and you have to search out these um, forums and, and sites and, 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 you know, start talking to sellers in the US. But it's a great story. And I want everyone to go to your Instagram and uh, follow Jack on Instagram. And like I said, it's at sunburnt underscore lobster underscore 911. Check out his car, 911S 1976. Um, what else, Jack? Anything else you want to tell the listeners before we go? We're at the, uh, we've hit the hour time or a little bit over, but that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's just a thank you for all the great work you're doing on the podcast, keeping me sane during these times. I love <laughs> listening to it. And um, yeah, if, if, if you've got an air-cooled sort of hole in your heart that you really need to fill. I, mean, I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you've got a non one too. I, you know, I don't know, maybe I, should, maybe I should be looking at 911S. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it comes down to too many people have um, 
look for the unicorn. They kind of have that essential and desirable spec and they focus on it too much. And the problem is that where the market goes, you can, you know, even a year or two, you can just from one day being able to afford one, you can be, you can get priced out so quickly. So um, maybe sort of think out of the box a bit, look at slightly different markets. And um, yeah, if you're buying at the lower end of the market, yeah, you definitely have to take a bit of a punt sometimes. And, um, you know, um, Nick's great story for due diligence. You know, he got loads of photos and he managed to find one that wasn't on the market and got a cracking yeah. deal on his one. He was he got a great car there. Um, you can't go wrong if you put up a wanted ad. You know, the worst... Worst thing is nothing happens. And, yeah, true. I think you've done. I think you've both done a good job, though. Obviously, Nick did a bit more work on his, finding <laughs> his. You haven't done as much, but you've still done a lot of uh, due diligence in trying to. You know, you still did. A, you still did an inspection. You still had yeah. to trust the seller. You had to trust. You know, there's still things you have to do. There's still things you yes, have to yeah. tick the boxes of. Um, and as long as you tick enough of them, that way you feel comfortable to hand over the cash. And then the car comes, and it's not too big a surprise. There's always going to be something wrong with it. There's always going to be something that you have to fix up. I mean, that's just, you know, it's an old car. You know, it really is an old yeah, car. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an old car. But that's what's nice they, about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they went through that period of being worthless, didn't they? So they, they got treated such way. So, um, exactly. Uh, Nick was lucky that his one had been owned for a number of years. So, you know, it, it was probably like a, an old family dog or something. So the owner, you know, he, he didn't really look at it as value. He wasn't yeah. trading in and out. Whereas yeah. my one, I imagine, passed through a few hands and it probably did end up in that banger territory. And it, yeah. it it certainly came into this country with about 12 speakers and a dodgy old sound system in it. So it yeah. probably had quite an interesting life. But but the thing is, both the cars have character. Your car has a lot of character. Yeah. It's it's a, you know, it's a talking piece. You're going to take it to Cars and Coffee. You're going to take it to events in the UK during the summer if, if everything's back to normal or when things get back to normal. And people are going to want to know about the car because it has that appeal. You know what I mean? It really does. It, it, it's going to create a lot of conversation when you take it places, that's for sure. Yeah, I hope, I hope I, I'll just sort of, as I say, try to, maintain it as much myself as I can I won't get too obsessed with the you know trying to make it perfect and restore it and paint it and do all that stuff I yep. love the, the fact that 90% of the panels are original so where it's the two-stage enamel a lot of the clear coat top coat is worn off so it's left like a really nice aluminium style on that so base how do you coat. how do you protect that though do you put anything onto the car is this I didn't actually touch that yeah in. Yeah, I've, I did a lot of research, and there's all the various different substances, and some leave like a waxy finish. But the one I've found um, to stop uh, was, rust, right? You still need to put something yeah, in it so it doesn't and rust anymore. Protect it, yeah, and stop any UV light affecting it a bit more, I guess. Um, I use a, a thing called Renaissance Wax, which okay. I, I believe the, one of the British museums uses for artwork. It's quite sort of sensitive, and yeah, I just sort of rub some Renaissance Wax on it, and. Um, yeah, it's not going to get driven in really wet weather. I've got a daily car. So that's that a matte sort of finish? It doesn't put a shine yeah, on the finish? Yeah, satin, yeah, so satin finish. Yeah, sort of matinee sat finish. And it yeah. seems to be quite a nice finish. And um, I, I, I stick uh, away from wet washing the car. So I've got a waterless, um, one of these Autoglean waterless cleaners. Because as I say, it's a little bit frilly around some of the edges and I don't want to start chucking water and some of the rubber yeah. seals aren't wonderful and um, because the car's not dirty and it's it's not is that something you need to do you need to change the seals on the doors and everything it will they... do yeah yeah it's, it's going to have all those sorts of jobs and i think the thing is when i do the windscreen it's going to be a it's it's going to uh unravel there's going to oh, be okay. you know this hole is it's never going to be just a little hole it's going to be a big hole and if you do that you so know, you drive it you drive it during the winter no probably uh, if the weather's nice i will 
Yeah, yeah. If yeah. the weather's, I won't do it if there's salt on the road or if it's wet. Um, it's just because I've got a daily car that's far better at doing that. You know, heated seats and stuff. Yeah, it's, true, true. You know, it, it, I will be quite precious about it, and you know, I don't particularly want to get it too wet because. Although it's galvanised, it's forty-four years old. Yeah, you still you know, got to it's, think it's about it. It's still got factory underseal under it, so it won't respond well to being daily driven. And yeah. um, but I don't. I, I certainly don't want to keep it just as a Sunday car. You know, my commute now is probably ten miles each way, and it's quite okay. quite nice roads. So I'll, I'll drive it to work, and when the weather's basically, it'll take over from where I left off with bikes. That I'll yeah. use it as much as I can when the weather's good. Um, yeah, so I use Fantastic. it whenever I can. I don't need to worry about the mile, putting mileage on it because it's got some huge number <laughs> on the clock. Uh, yeah, Fantastic, Jack. Thanks. Thank you so much for oh. sharing your story. I think the listeners no are, going to, are going to enjoy that today. I mean, it's like I said, check out Jack's Instagram. Uh, it'll be in the link of this podcast as well, so check that out. It's um, sunburnt underscore lobster underscore 911. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, Michael, for all, all your right. work and Thank- uh, keeping these these podcasts churning. They're, they're great listens and, uh, yeah, really enjoy it. Thanks so much. Yeah. And th- and I'm glad you reached out. It was good. It was good to chat. should keep in no contact problem, as no well. Um, I'd like to see, Definitely, yeah. I'd like to see more get of that your car. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's got to be this, this year's... Um, <laughs> Uh, this year's thing for you is to, to get that 912 it's just, I think so that, that white one Beverly Hills car with the original paint that looks solid nice car that. it is pretty solid name on it. yeah it's a good price as well yeah yeah definitely I sent, that, I sent that to Nick actually he thought the same yeah he it. sent it to me so I looked at that and thought I love original paint so. it's just the turning motor thing I, I never understand how ah, bad right. that means turning motor yeah yeah it'd be alright <laughs> what's the worst thing to happen you can, you can chuck a, a just a four cylinder uh, VW lump in there until you rebuild it. Yeah, true. Don't ever true. think it, Michael. Just just go and do it. And once you've got it, you've got it. You can worry about the. That's the plan. I got I got to stop later. procrastinating. I got to do it. Exactly. Just, just what just everyone keeps telling me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, thanks, Jack. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this was a Portugal podcast. Like I said, this is Owner Stories number nineteen. Uh, that was Jack from London, and he's very nice. Sunburnt Lobster. I might even put that in the title, I think, because it's so cool. <laughs> I don't normally put those things in the title, but the Sunburnt Lobster, it's a 1976 Porsche 911S. Thanks again, Jack. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. I mean, stories like uh, stories like Jack's and Nick's make me, and Ajmal from Flat Cap Driver, really make me want to get a, a air cooled. Anyway, everyone, thanks for listening and bye for now.